Hello and welcome to the AFPT Comics Podcast, episode 131. My name is David Brooke and I'm here with Nathan Simmons. Nathan, every week I ask, how you doing? Yeah, and every week I, I struggle within <laughs> myself to find the answers. Um, I'm doing okay. Uh, we've got some pretty rough weather this week, but it's bright and shiny today and uh, it's a perfect day to talk about comic books. I know, you know, it has been dumping rain on Boston for like yeah. six days straight. And I think I got the storm you had last time we recorded. Yeah, it really like slowly made its way across the U.S. It was funny. I mean, I'm not funny, but I at work in my, my work chat, someone said, uh, yeah, we lost power today. And I said, why? And they were like, because we just got, like, <laughs> Clara just got here. Like, right, the stuff right. you were worrying about, you know, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wild. I, I, I hope uh, it holds off for a little while, but it's not really looking like it. You know, this show is not unlike a hurricane in that it takes a slow buildup of news yeah. and comic releases sure. and planning on our parts and thinking. And, and, and it takes about five or six days and all of a sudden, bam! We, New show every Sunday. And we just, we don't have the infrastructure to <laughs> recover from every recording. That's, this is true. And sometimes we dump buckets of thoughts that may or may not destroy the earth. Oh, for sure. I've got, I've got buckets today. But flowers always sprout a few days later when oh my people God. put the pieces together. Because this is the kind of podcast where we talk about the latest news. We have uh, big interviews and we uh, also review comics on here too. This week, yeah. Matt Medney. CEO of Heavy Metal Entertainment will be joining us to talk about not only his work as CEO of Heavy Metal Magazine, but also uh, his recent and upcoming comics work and novel too at Heavy Metal. Hell yeah! So yeah, this is a unique interview for us. We don't we don't usually have editors or editors in chief or CEOs of that caliber. Yeah, it's on really, the show. It's really exciting because not only does he have like that day to day mindset, but he also has you know like the the oversight and everything. But he also is a writer and a creator. So yeah, um, it'll be cool to talk to somebody who's like on kind of on both sides of it. Exactly. Yes. To start the show, though, we always recap the biggest news of the week, and this week we start with some very, very sad news. Mm -hmm. Richard Donner, uh, movie director of Superman the Movie, as well as Goonies and other amazing films, has died at 91. Mm -hmm. Rest in peace, Richard Donner. I wrote a little bit about him in the AIPT newsletter Mm -hmm. uh, that went up on Saturday, but uh, yeah, without Richard Donner, I don't know what what, what movies would be like, but also comics would be like today. Oh, I mean, we were talking about the. I just did a um, a guest spot on one of my favorite podcasts, The VHS Files. Uh, we were talking about the films of Richard Donner. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 interesting to see how comics kind of reflexively. I mean, we see that all the time now with comics changing based on things that happen in film adaptations or to kind of anticipate films and tie in with them. But like. I don't know, when, when this movie came out, it was really like a watershed moment. It legitimized the genre. Like, Richard Donner was the one who said from the start, like, I'm only doing this Superman movie if we play it, like, right. completely seriously. Or not completely seriously, but if we, like, we have a reverence for the material. This is not a joke. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I think that that comes through in the whole production. There's some... Um, the, the way that I like to think about this movie is that it... When you watch it now, it hasn't aged perfectly, Mm-hmm. But it is perfect. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. Uh, I I adore Superman the movie, and uh, and really cool to see if you ever if ever get a chance to watch the Donner cut of Superman two. It's uh, it's fascinating because you can tell that he had a a whole different thing in mind for that movie as well. And I mean, you know, since 
I kind of live on Twitter a little bit. Sure. <laughs> a lot of comics creators came out and said, you know, Superman the movie like got me into comics or got me into the realm of superheroes. Yeah. Kevin Feige um, at Marvel Studios had a really uh, touching uh, comment about mm-hmm. the passing of Richard Donner. I mean, he was very important to everything that we love, oh, especially yeah. on this show. I think you can see the Donner Superman in you know, what Tom Taylor does with the character or what Philip Kennedy Johnson's doing with the character right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, there's a sweetness and a sincerity to him. And it's the idea that what if the most powerful being in the universe was also the nicest? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, there's something really great about that. I um, And the thing is, you know, Donner had one hell of a career. He, he, I mean, he passed at 91, you know, the guy did it his own way the whole time. Uh, made some of the best episodes of the Twilight Zone, made the Lethal Weapon franchise. You know, uh, mm-hmm. he's kind of a hero. And and literally, Twitter has just been full of stories from comics folks and and movie folks, like over the last few days, just sharing that he's was the sweetest guy. Oh, for sure, yeah. And some great anecdotes, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, uh, later this month, actually, um, coincidentally, Superman 78 is a comic series that's coming right. out that will uh, feature Superman in the likeness of um, Christopher Reeve, of course, mm-hmm. but it'll originally, it'll, it'll actually be released as a digital comic and then eventually released in comic shops. But I wonder uh, how Donner's passing will affect the series. Maybe they'll have a touching like intro or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. It's, it's a, it's a bummer that he, you know, wasn't around for that, that book to launch. Uh, Cause I, yeah. I can tell that it's being made with a, a lot of like love and reverence for, mm-hmm. for what he, what he created. Moving on to some DC comics news, DC announced their comic con at home schedule mm-hmm. uh, earlier this week. It weirdly AIPT had the news like a day or two before every other site. I don't know if I like accidentally stumbled upon the press release <laughs> or something, but you broke the embargo. <laughs> I broke. No, I didn't. I... But uh, <laughs> DC's listening. They cut me off. Um, no, but uh, they they only gonna, they're only gonna have four panels. So if you don't know, Comic Con at Home is SDCC's SDCC's replacement for a live convention. Mm-hmm. It's gonna last year was all on YouTube. I think it'll probably be the same this year. They haven't really released any new details, so I'm sure it'll be similar. So all the panels are pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also, at least how it went last year, you could scrub through the entire video once it's live. But mm-hmm. it goes live at a specific time, and the, the DC Comics will have four panels. The first is Batman Fear State, another is DC Horror, Superman, and then Dark Knight's Death Metal, the soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, also uh, a DC Wonder Woman panel, so five panels actually total. I think they're saving a lot of the big stuff for Fandom in October. Probably. But the this is this is a good way to like really tease the stuff that'll be out before then. I mean, Fear State's going to be huge, and they've got pretty yeah. much like a ton of the creators uh, working on, you know, sitting out on the panel, John Ridley. Marco Tamaki, James Tynan, Stephanie Phillips, Tom Taylor. Uh, so it's going to be like, I'm really, really excited about that one because I want to hear how they've all been communicating with each other on tying this together because the Bat books yeah. genuinely have been so tightly focused a- as mm-hmm. a line that I'm, I'm like in a way that it hasn't been in a long time. I'm really, really impressed by it. I'm excited for Superman because Grant Morrison will be on yes. uh, along with Tom Taylor and Philip Kennedy Johnson. But the plan for Superman appears to be really cool in the similar way that you were just saying about Batman in that all of these titles are sort of feeding into each other, kind of yeah. coexisting. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to hear more about that. I don't know why there's a death metal soundtrack 
panel. Yeah, the soundtrack came out. Well, it's funny because the soundtrack came out way after yeah. the book. And I don't know if that was a COVID thing or what, because the soundtrack for Dark Knight's Metal came out like concurrently with the book. I feel like they were putting out one track per issue and mm-hmm. then and then collecting yeah, slowly, it. This yeah. one, it's it's yeah, it's definitely more of a, a late arriving affair. It's also a weird we talked about this, I think, off mic last weekend. It's a weird lineup of songs like. Yeah, I mean, I it's really good. I've been listening to it a ton. But like when I think death metal, I, I don't immediately think Manchester Orchestra and Soccer Mommy, but I'm glad they're on there. because they're, <laughs> they're both amazing. Yeah, it is funny. I, being so far away removed from the actual event. I mean, we're talking sure. what, almost five months since it ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I'm almost intrigued to uh, to watch this panel just to see why they're having the panel. <laughs> I want to, yeah, I want to know what the process was behind that. If anybody was approached and was kind of like, uh, I don't, I don't know if I'm right for this. You know, I want to know how it all came together. Um, I do. I, I love Tyler Bates. Uh, uh, brilliant. Uh, what is my brain trying to say? Uh, brilliant composer, you know, composed mm. music for the John Wick franchise and, uh, uh, all of uh, almost all of uh, Zack Snyder's movies, yeah, most of Rob Zombie's movies. Like he's he's kind of like in my wheelhouse, really. Oh, nice. That's <laughs> so cool. yeah, I I really like his music a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how this this thing kind of came together and hear the you know the secret origin <laughs> of the soundtrack. <laughs> Well, AIPT will definitely be covering these panels the best we can. Yeah. If it's anything like last year's SCCC, it'll be kind of limited on news, but it is sure. a cool way to get a little insight into comics uh, with creators, you know, attending these panels. Moving on to some comics and Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood. Oh, I like this. I like this character. It was less than eight seconds, so we're not going to have to pay them. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> Late Friday, it was revealed something is killing the children is getting a TV adaptation from none other than the filmmakers of Doctor Sleep. Hell yeah. Which is great news in part because that movie was pretty damn good yeah. and well made. Yeah, at for the sure. At the very least. Also, James Tynan killing it. Uh, at this point, I think every single one of Tynan's uh, projects will eventually become a TV or movie because <laughs> obviously we already know the Department of Truth is in the works as a, yeah. uh, as a TV show. Uh, I think Tynan's actually writing that one too. Yeah, it's interesting that the that they, they that it, the, most of the press releases I've seen have like really spotlighted Dr. Sleep, which didn't do so hot. I think it's no, very, you're right. It's very interesting because he, Mike Flanagan, is the you know director, creator, producer, and writer of The Haunting of Hill House, which like I I think right. really makes him like the right person to tackle something is killing the children. True, true. But yeah, this is uh, this is awesome. I think uh, you know I think we kind of talk about this a little bit, you know, three or four times a month. But Tynan is on a roll and I can't imagine that he's not like in the next couple of years, he's, I think he's just going to be recognized as one of the names in comics. For sure. Definitely. And uh, it's good news for Boom, too. I think they've got a couple other projects going on. They have um, Mechadet, Greg Pak's comic is getting an animated series. Probably other things we don't even know about yet, but um, (laughs) I know, gosh, it was like a year or two ago. Boom was like putting out books and it was, you know, there were good books. I mean, Titan actually did one that I liked uh, like four years ago, but it it was never that splashy. But it, like a year or two ago, something happened in management and they, they really started gearing up towards trying to get better IP out yeah. and getting stuff like on Netflix and stuff like that. And it's already showing. Yeah, for sure. 
Some other Hollywood news. <laughs> this news comes from Nathan himself. I did not even see this. Faust is coming uh, to us through an animated series. It's based on a comic book I've never heard of, and it's being set up at Sony Pictures Television. Yeah, Faust is a weird fucking indie book from the 80s through, I think it took literally 30 years for all the issues to come out. Oh my God, um, yeah. But it is, uh, it's this super gritty gross hyper violent hyper sexual comic book series uh that i i gained a weird fascination with um because there was a film adaptation in the uh i want to say like 1999 or 2001 called faust love of the damned that was directed Uh by brian yuzna who directed bride of reanimator and society and stuff like that like he's known for like hyper violent gross movies (laughs) and uh yeah this is like what if a guy this is spawn before spawn what if a guy died came back as like a monster uh with wolverine's claws essentially (laughs) <laughs> um, but it it like was one of the first books to like really lean into that. Let's make what if superheroes were like deconstructed and dark and messed up. And yeah, I I don't mean to be super negative. It's not my kind of thing. I was just really like fascinated by a book that was coming out at that time that was pushing the envelope in so many ways. Right, right. But I can't. As a younger person, you probably saw the covers and were like, wow, look at this. This is cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot all of the time. But, the covers uh, have so much nudity. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, it, this was like fully, fully underground. Like it was. But it's it's wild because it ran for like 25 years before they finally got to the final issue. And it was like each issue sold tens of thousands of copies like it did really well with the people who knew it you know yeah yeah and after i saw the movie which is like this campy like disaster i was just like Mm -hmm. i have to read at least a couple of issues of this book and so to see it like come back like this as an animated series the only thing i can think is um everyone wants their own invincible like <laughs> if oh yeah sure like, sure we, adults some, violent yeah yeah there's a market for a hyper violent adult animated series but uh yeah we'll see how this turns out if they don't go with nudity it will be a disservice to the series <laughs> based on the covers alone good lord i've never seen such graphic uh nudity on covers uh, for comics to, before to, to give you an idea of how like indie and self-published this was there are 15 issues total and it took oh, okay. 25 years for them all to wow. come out um That's interesting. and then there were like i think there were also some like spinoffs and stuff but huh interesting i wonder yeah. where it'll be set up i mean will it be streaming will it be a i guess well i guess it had to be streaming at this point yeah tv's not really where it's at but yeah no it'll be interesting to see where this goes especially since it it doesn't necessarily have a built-in fan base by any means so it's gonna have not to build up that fan base. yeah and it's uh, I don't know. I think that if they lean into the controversy, like oh sure, I mean this book was this book was banned in like I think in Canada. I remember reading. Okay, uh, and so I it I imagine like if they go that route, they go like a you know kind of midnight movie route. It might be it might end up being oh, a yeah. fun time. Like if they lean into the oh, silliness, put it on it, Shutter, right? It'd be great for Shutter. I, they would yeah. need to hire. <laughs> they would need like stronger animation than some of the stuff they've put out. But yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> 
Interesting. Well, moving on to some less graphic news, or maybe it is. It was really fun seeing you discover that in real time. <laughs> yeah, while uh, Nathan was talking, I was sending him covers uh, from some of the Faust issues, and good lord, man. Yeah, um, it's wild. It's wild. Speaking of lords, uh, <laughs> yeah. the death of Doctor Strange is getting some spinoffs. Marvel announced on Friday uh, they'll be getting an Avengers spinoff and a Strange Academy spinoff. Yeah. The Avengers spinoff is by Alex Packardell and Ryan Bodenham, and the Strange Academy is, of course, by Scotty Young with Mike Del Mundo. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Mundo's amazing and hasn't done um, a lot lately, mostly covers lately, so mm -hmm. it'll be cool to see them coming back. But if you don't know, Doc Death of Doctor Strange is kicking off in September 22nd. That's by Jed McKay and Lee Garbutt. It's a five-issue miniseries. And uh, I guess he's going to die, guys. Spoilers. Yeah, I, so. I love this uh, <laughs> this cover of the Avengers fighting Juggernaut, and he's like a kaiju size. <laughs> it is fun, yeah. It's a really cool cover. Yeah, I, I yeah. this looks like it's going to be a really weird over-the-top story. I'm, I'm into it. Marvel's really into these miniseries. They've done a, a couple um, in the last year and a half. <sighs> Honestly, five issue I love it. I I find this so much more palatable and easy to to easier buy in than some of the longer events. Like I can't even tell you how many parts of King in Black I missed. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was their last really big one. Um, but then they had Empire about a, six months before that. Yeah, and, War of the Realms. You know they've got. They've got events constantly going. Sure. They've got Infinite Destinies right now, but that's very manageable, small, annual. And I've been enjoying that too. Yeah. If you if you like events, read Marvel Comics because DC's <laughs> not so much into like the billions of events going on all at once. Um, although they will be bringing back Batman: The Long Halloween with a new special coming this October. Uh, they announced that earlier this week. Yeah. Um, they've got Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb coming back to do the book with colors by Brennan Wagner. And letters by Richard Starkings, um, all four of these creators have illustrious long careers in comics. Um, some bigger than others, of course, but yeah. uh, this is a $8.48 page one-shot. No idea how it ties into the Batman Long Halloween. Clearly, though, they're putting this out because of the animated movie sure. that's coming out in two parts. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily see uh, a reason for this outside of no. the uh, outside yeah. of the anniversary angle but yeah uh it's it's uh, been 24 years since it was the definitely last a surprise so yeah jeff Loeb. Uh, if you don't know there's a problematic creator obviously uh hasn't been doing comics for a long time yeah uh because they were doing producing at netflix for mm -hmm. all these marvel shows and gosh, there was controversy a few months ago about how he ran the writers' room, how he uh, disparaged Asian people yeah, using Asian, Asian characters. characters, and yeah, yeah. And it's a it, it is a bummer to see this come out like right on the tail of the uh, you know the Asian Pacific Islander pride. <laughs> right. It's just another example of the, these big, uh, especially DC and Marvel, you know, giving work to people that have shady pasts, and you could probably find someone better. But I mean, it's so weird, like. Jeff Loeb hasn't written a comic in like 15 years, right? I right. don't know. I could be wrong. There could have been a one shot in there it's, somewhere. No, he's yeah, he's done some stuff here and there, but uh, is mostly been a TV guy for the last several years. Well, you're so right. Like, who wants this? Like, <laughs> one of the reasons I, why Batman Long Halloween is so beloved is because it kind of stands alone. You can just I, read it and you're yeah, done. And I look, I love, I love that book. I really enjoyed the new animated movie. Um, but yeah, I I don't uh, don't know why this exists. That's right, right. It's kind of where I'm at. Uh, DC also announced Human Target. Tom King and Greg Smallwood will be uh, joining forces. It looks like it's a um, 
It's, well, first of all, it's a DC Black Label book, but mm -hmm. it's it's not just a floppy 20-page comic. It's actually being put out in books. Mm -hmm. It comes out in October. Obviously, this news came out because the solicits um, will be coming soon from DC, but uh, Tom King was teasing one of the covers on Friday. And oh, yeah. was in their minds everyone, trying to guess at what it was. Everyone thought he was doing like a new Justice League book because it was just the close-up right. of all of the heroes' uh, arms. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. It looks like Christopher Chance is pissing off superheroes, and if that's like the if it that's does, just the yeah. plot of the book, then I'm into it. Honestly, so, I'm totally here for Greg Smallwood. Absolutely, everything he does lately is just amazing. He's always good, and then some of the some of the stuff on this cover feels like, uh, and, and you know, forgive me if I'm mistaken, but it feels like a almost a Darwin Cook. Uh, oh, uh, sure. Tribute. The, the way his face looks, yeah. Well, particularly the way he's drawn these, like the Green Lantern ring and stuff like that. It feels, it feels very New Frontier, and I, I love it. Oh yeah, uh huh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It's, it's the, it's the right kind of book for Tom King too, right? Like, yeah, for sure. Espionage style book. Um. Also, it seems, it seems like Tom King is more and more is doing like uh, mini series, right? He's not doing an ongoing like Batman. Right. Hasn't in a while. So right. again, kind of in his wheelhouse. And then in our last bit of news, uh, the comics beat uh, reported on this, but it was from a tweet by Ahoy Comics uh, that they will be they just landed a deal with Lunar Distribution to start uh, shipping their books, which cool. is great news for Ahoy in part because I know Ahoy is tricky to find across the country. Right. Uh, if you don't know, Ahoy Magazine, they put out a regular comic book, but in every comic there are short stories, prose, sometimes poetry, yeah. sometimes backup comics. It's not just a single book. It's more like a magazine, but every comic is like that. And uh, another thing that's interesting about this news to me was that Lunar is the main way DC Comics uh, right. distributes their comics now. Mm -hmm. So Lunar is now like expanded a little bit more into the comics industry. Yeah, um, and it probably isn't so great for Diamond in a way uh, if seems... Lunar is going to be doing this. Right, and then Simon and Schuster is going to be doing collected editions. So like they've fully shut out Diamond, it seems. Right. Yeah, I think I'm, it's so strange. I don't understand this stuff because I don't. I'm not a. I'm not into that world. <laughs> uh -huh. But Diamond keeps saying you can continue to get Marvel books through them, even though I think in October. Marvel is going full steam ahead with Random House Graphic right. distributing their I'm not books. Not sure how that's gonna, yeah, how that shakes out. Um, but Ahoy puts out great books. I reviewed um, Happy Hour for the site. Uh, oh yeah, a few months ago. Well, I guess it was six months ago at this point. But uh, yeah, that that was a fun series by Peter Milligan. They get really good creators and to do very outside the box stories. So yeah, this is great news for Lunar. They also. Um distribute scout comics books so they are slowly growing and amassing more publishers mm -hmm. uh, yeah publishers to uh, distribute their comics but that's it for news in our next segment in our last segment uh, last time for the segment <laughs> heroes don't do that do they though this is our joke segment that's making fun of the uh the uproar <laughs> when everyone was wondering if batman uh likes oral sex yeah <laughs> basically that's the easiest way to say it i guess so, I'm going to ask Nathan, mm -hmm. do heroes do that, though? Okay. Do they listen to the Beastie Boys? Oh, yes. Heroes <laughs> listen to the Beastie Boys. Are you kidding me? Uh, I mean, right... do they all just listen to the one track, the Sabotage track that everyone likes? Oh, sure. No, I think, I think some heroes listen to, like, the deep cuts, but I think most heroes are, like, playing that before they go out and fight crime, right? Sure, Get sure, Get you pumped yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
For sure. I want... I'm trying to think of what hero wouldn't like it. Maybe Spawn. Batman probably doesn't, honestly. Yeah, he's a little too morose. Yeah, Batman's listening to Morrissey <laughs> before he goes and fights crime. <laughs> he wants to be sad and angry. Girlfriend in a coma, I know. <laughs> Is that Batman singing? It's Batman singing the Smiths, yeah. Oh, wow, amazing. I, I don't know how we got that audio. I got him somehow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> In our next segment, our top books of the week, we're going to talk about our top two favorite comics out this week. Yeah. Nathan, what you got for your second favorite book of the week? My second favorite book of the week was Justice League Infinity Number 1 by J.M. DeMattis, James Tucker, and Ethan Beavers. Uh, this is the continuation of Justice League Unlimited from 2006. Uh, and it picks up a few years later, has uh, some great callbacks to the cartoon that I love so much. And uh, genuinely tells a story that feels like it not only picks up from the book, but builds on it or picks up from the cartoon, but builds on it. They're, they're mm-hmm. uh, starting to uh, dive into the multiverse. It looks like they're doing some stuff with the bleed. Uh, there's some really fun like d- during Justice League Unlimited, they did this fun thing where they would occasionally do storylines that were clearly like we we're doing a DC show, but we love Marvel comics. So right, right. Um, uh-huh. There were like several issues where it was like Doctor Fate, Hawk Girl, Solomon Grundy, and Amazo and Aquaman kind of standing in for the Defenders, you know. Uh, uh-huh. And Amazo has always kind of been like the they've treated him more like the Silver Surfer of the animated universe. And yeah. So this story opens with him, you know, going from world to world, trying to solve the mysteries of the universe. <laughs> and, uh, it like kind of it's really interesting how it takes those concepts and just builds on them uh, in really fun ways. Um, when the series ended, Martian Manhunter was uh, living in the in the body of a um, he had transformed into an older man and was like married and settled down. And when we find him here, his wife has passed, so he is he has gone across the world living uh, as different individuals uh, to try to understand what his purpose in life is. He's kind of become a almost a wandering Ronin type character. No more no more fighting for him. He just wants to live his life. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's really it it's it has more time to explore these kind of. Um, these kind of heady character drama issues uh, that the mm-hmm. the cartoon never really, I mean, the cartoon always had like a, a significant amount of character development, but they also had to do that and fit a bunch of punch em ups in 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just feels like there's so much more time to stretch their legs in this series. And um, I love getting back to these characters, the, this version of these characters after so long. Right, yeah. Would you say someone who hasn't watched the show would they enjoy it, or could they I get into it? I think that you could. the The book has a good amount of exposition. Um, there are a there are a couple of things that don't that are a little bit harder, probably to follow because. Uh, well, you know what they they so the the idea is that there's a power vacuum on Apocalypse uh, following the events of the unlimited finale. Um, Mm -hmm. but they, you know, they kind of mentioned that dark side has been missing for a long time. So, uh, I think it still, still kind of works, even if you don't, if you don't know exactly how the ending of the series played out. Oh, cool. But you will definitely, it definitely enriches it. If you have, if you've watched the show or familiar with it. Nice. Oh, that's good. 
Yeah, we actually had J.M. DeMattis uh, in an interview yeah. uh, uh, this week, actually. Was it this week? Yeah, no, yeah. It, was, yeah, it was on Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to learn more about that. Um, my second favorite book of the week was Immortal Hulk number 48 uh, by Al Ewing and Joe Bennett. Mm-hmm. I will probably be reviewing um, <laughs> this through the rest of the series, which is only two more issues. Right. I reviewed this one, though. I had to because I liked it so much. Um, it's <laughs> Surprisingly, though, there's not a lot of body horror and there's not a lot of action. It's literally Hulk and uh, Betty Ross hanging out in a hotel room, uh, chatting away about uh, who they are deep down and, uh, you know, the, the falsehoods they they, uh, they live, mm-hmm. not only in monster form, but also in their humanity. Um, Joe Fixit is actually in control of Hulk because Bruce Banner's in hell. and uh, <laughs> As he is wanted to do. So it's Joe and um, Betty, like, connecting. It's Betty, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always want to say Betsy for some reason. Um <laughs> It's they're connecting, and it's interesting to see uh, Betty kind of like speak candidly with Joe Fixit, uh, considering their history, where he was sort of like at that time when he, when Joe Fixit was um, in control of the Hulk, uh, was sort of avoiding her. Um, there's also a nice moment with She Hulk. Mm-hmm. Al Ewing writes these characters in a really realistic way, even though they're in grotesquely looking uh, and uh, just monstrous in so many different ways, and. Uh, there's a great moment where they cut away and we see all the Avengers ready to fight the Hulk, but She-Hulk's, you know, kind of keeping tabs on him to make sure he doesn't do anything or break anything. Um, but this is clearly setting up the final two issues. So if you want to jump on now, you could if you wanted to get in on the bandwagon of this finale that will be Immortal Hulk number 50. Mm-hmm. But um, the art is just insane. Like, just looking at Hulk's face is weird. And, you know, his humanity is hard to see, but it's still there in the eyes. There are layers to this book that if you want to mm-hmm. dig in, you can find them. But you can also just read a book about a monster talking about how he's not really a monster, or maybe he is, but in a way that it's not uh, completely evident. Right, yeah. So yeah, this is going to go down as one of the greatest runs ever, right? For sure. I'm, I'm still a couple of issues behind, and I, but I'm still just like, every time I read it, I'm kind of floored by how it flips the script. Right, right. Moving on, what is your favorite comic of the week? Uh, surprise, my favorite comic of the week was <laughs> The Swamp Thing number 5 by Ram V and John McCrea. Yeah. Um, this, oh, man, I mean, look, what did you text me earlier this week? It's John Constantine and Swamp Thing together, and you were just like, wow, Nathan's yep. fed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I did so, say that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's great. I mean, these characters, they go together perfectly. It's always so great to see them working together. So yeah, so uh, Swamp Thing is called to London, uh, as is John, and there is a bomb that has fallen on the city, fell in the city decades ago, and has been buried underneath uh, the ground, and has never gone off, but the hate that made it, you know, the the hate behind the attack has sort of festered as like this psychic virus, people are losing their minds, and uh, this young man has been trapped in the basement and like the pipes in the basement have grown up around him and through his body. And it, it's it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of weird body horror in this one. And it also gets into the idea. I mean, the whole series has been about how there's power and ideas from the first issue with Swamp Thing fighting the pale wanderer, telling him that we're both, you know, just concepts that have been given form 
this takes that a step further and shows that like ideas can poison people. And uh, it just, it gives you some great, some great action sequences that I, you know, this book has been very much more of a, a horror vibe. So I was kind of surprised to get a full on sequence of, you know, Swamp Thing trying to dispose of a nuclear bomb. And uh, it's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's just, it's fantastic. It's everything I want in a Swamp Thing book every single month. And this one felt, maybe the closest to an old school vertigo issue. I wonder for Ram V, is this like their, um, the creme de la creme for them as far as horror in, in comics Man, is concerned? I don't know. Like it's, it's so fun because justice league dark continues to be, you know, just as well written, but also has more of an action, you know, action bent to it, mm-hmm. uh, fantasy action. And then this one, this series just really it threads the needle of of horror and superheroes so well. <laughs> I think I might have picked the a completely opposite book for my favorite book of the week. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I picked uh, Mamo number one yeah. by Sas Millage. This is from Boom Studios. Um, it's about a young girl looking for a uh, local head hedge witch mm-hmm. to help her with her mother. Her mother is sick, and um, oh, sorry, I have a cat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's it's just it's such a beautiful book it looks yeah uh, you were like sending me some of the art and yeah and it's very like uh, tied to the environment and nature mm-hmm. uh this head witch you you know she's a witch from the very start just by the way she the she has like this attitude yeah but soon like there are little elements of magic that are in the world and they blend into nature so well there's a moment where they um the little girl is going to grab a spoon that's in the ground. She's like, wait, don't do that. That's a trap <laughs> made by fairies. Uh-huh. And uh, when the the witch like uh, undoes the trap, we quickly see uh, like a, a shot of these insects in the tree. And like makes you wonder, oh, are the fairies actually just insects? Or do they look like that? I don't know. There's this magicalness to it that's not unlike something like Spirited Away. And oh, I yeah, just, for sure. You could almost hear the wind in the trees when you're reading it. And it... I just found it so beautiful and almost, I mean, there's a darkness to it, especially at the end, because yeah. obviously there needs to be a conflict, but there is this, I don't know, um, calmingness to it that I really enjoyed that you don't just necessarily get in comics every single week. Uh, so yeah, totally, totally check out Mamo. It's, it's only a, I think it's a five issue miniseries mm-hmm. um, and it has a, a great ending because Boom spoiled it for me in an email. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, I, I totally recommend it. Moving on to our next segment, our standout. Kapow! <laughs> moment of the week. Yeah, this is a different guy. This is a different guy this time. That, that was a different guy saying that. <laughs> this is our favorite moment of the week from all the comics we read. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, what do you got? I loved this moment from Batman The Adventures Continue Season 2, Number 2. Basically, Batman's been working with Dead Man to hunt down the Court of Owls, and he's wearing this uh, amulet on his head that allows him to see Dead Man. Yeah. But when Dick Grayson and Tim Drake come in, they don't know who Batman's talking to. They think there's something wrong with him. So Dead Man wants to say hi to them, and he naturally possesses Alfred's body and gives him a hug. And then he he says... uh, 
then he just starts doing some tricks in Alfred's body. So it's it, he like does a handstand. He's like, I used to do this on the high wire. And he's like standing on his fingers and he does like a somersault. It reminds me of when Creed Bratton wanted to do the perfect cartwheel on The Office. <laughs> but, oh, that's funny. But yeah, it's uh, it's so funny. It's just this really funny bit where Batman's just like, all right, out of Alfred now. And so he does a somersault and then jumps out of Alfred. And Alfred's like, I like the crick in my neck is gone. That's so weird. <laughs> Oh, that's um, funny. Yeah. So he's capable of it, even though he's an older man. Right, exactly. And I just love that. I think I told this to you, like, right before we recorded, but, like, usually my standout moment is, like, a, you know, a badass panel. Like, last week we were like, yeah, and all these spaceships are exploding. Yeah. And <laughs> this week I'm just like, old man did a cart, uh, did a <laughs> somersault that makes me happy. <laughs> it was just delightful. Yeah, you don't normally see that with Alfred either. Right. Uh, my favorite moment came from X-Men number one by Jerry Dugan, Pepe Larraz, and Marte Gracia. Uh, if you don't know, in this issue, uh, it's it's a superhero team book, and there is a big fight. But instead of the heroes doing their conventional, uh, you know, Wolverine slashes, Cyclops does mm-hmm. optic blasts, they actually create like a Megazord uh, <laughs> with construction material, because they're in New York City. Yeah. And they make this giant, like, uh, almost, it almost looks like a pill with arms, but it's giant. It's like... 10 stories tall. And after they've formed this uh, robot thing, uh-huh. each one has a p- role to play in, in how it's even you know working. We've got Polaris holding it all together. You've got Sunspot with this like X emblazoned into its chest so he can do like a fire blast. It's of course got an optic blast eye where Cyclops will shoot out of it. Um, I think Rogue is man- maintaining the arms or something. Uh-huh. I don't know how that actually works, but it's just, it's ridiculous. It's almost, it's also cute. It's really f- cute design of this <laughs> robot thing. Nice. And uh, it's like a big turning point in the battle where they're fighting this alien. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. Like there's a lot of cool moments where it could be a Kapow moment, but this one was like the, it's not even an action moment. It's like actually like the robot's posing. Yeah. It's like, whoa, that's awesome. <laughs> I did not know X-Men could do that. That's so great. Yeah, it's something you've never never seen them do before. This is true. More Power Rangers in my comics, please. <laughs> yes. In our next segment, top books for next week, we're going to talk about our most anticipated comic of the week. Yeah. And I picked, did you pick two? The Silver Coin Number 4 by Jeff Lemire and Michael Walsh. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, I've really enjoyed this series. I mean, the, the, what's interesting is like some of it hasn't worked entirely for me, but that's the nature of anthologies is that you kind of right. get to jump back and forth and... But yeah, this um, this one I'm really looking forward to because I'm a huge Lemire fan, and mm-hmm. it's set in the future uh, with, with scavengers in like the 2040s finding it. Yeah, I saw Michael Walsh tweet. This is like a turning point for the book. It's opening up the the world building. Oh, I'm sorry, 2467. I I Whoa. was way off. Yeah, way in the future. I think I might be dead by then. No, I might, <laughs> no. I might still be alive. Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> Um, I'm really excited. Just I mean, we keep saying this, but Lemire is one of the busiest guys in comics. It'll be yeah. cool to see them writing this tale. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also neat to see Michael Walsh. He draws every single one of these issues, mm-hmm. working with someone else and seeing how that affects the art. Yeah, and w- there was a, a tease of this at the end of issue three, uh, yeah. where you, you got to see each issue kind of ends with the next person finding the coin. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was really, it was really cool. Just the, just the little bit we got to see of, of how the, um, uh, 
how the coin kind of found its way to this new new area. And I, I I'm wondering if it, this is the turning point. Is this where the series was originally supposed to end before it became uh you know a, a full run, or is this I like. Once you, get, sure. once you get to the future, where does the series go from there? Like, that's fascinating. Mm. Mm, for sure, yeah. It'll be interesting how it opens up. In our next segment, Judging by the Cover Junior, we talk about our most anticipated, most favoritest cover out next week. And we haven't even gone to the comic book shop yet because we have the right. internets. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. My favorite cover comes from Spider-Man Spider's Shadow number four. It's a variant cover. Seems to be something we always do, isn't it? Like the variant mm-hmm. covers, uh, I think they're allowed to be a little more artistic, a little more out there. A little funkier. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel like, uh, you know, a cover has to usually have, has to do a lot of heavy lifting, giving you an mm. idea what's inside. And then variant covers tend to be like, but what if it was a weirder thing? <laughs> exactly. And, Which, and this, yeah, this one for sure. For sure. Yeah. Christian Ward, first of all, like amazing sci-fi artist uh, with multiple credits to his name. But here we have the Venom symbiote, like in the most alien outside the box kind of way, this like goopy boy with big arms and fingers. He's a big old goopy boy. <laughs> And you have like these teeth that are uh, perfectly emblazoned with this red open mouth. Mm-hmm. By the way, go to the aptcomics.com posting for this to see the full cover. Um, this cover it'll... just it's got this like curvature and like yeah. liquid nature to Venom. That's this mass that takes up, I think, about sixty percent of the cover. Underneath that, serpentine though, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, and then you've got Spider-Man kind of posing at the bottom. If you don't know about the series, it's a book about whether uh, where uh, the symbiote is never uh, released from Spider-Man. He's never left, let it go. And so it has consumed him and turned him darker and very evil in a way. Uh, and so here we have this almost symbolic cover of Spider-Man still fighting the symbiote and it like totally uh, taking over his life. Well, and, you know, as we saw in the last issue, the symbiote also has its has gotten into Reed Richards. And right. So... You know, there's uh, and, and is kind of oh, screwing around with the Fantastic Four. You, so this could be, yes, you're so right. A, a literal interpretation of what happens when a goopy boy meets a stretchy man. <laughs> That's true. Do you suppose it's, it's really creepy? So Mister Fantastic can like stretch forever, pretty much. I mean, there's a limitation yeah. to it. How far can the symbiote stretch with him before it gets too thin? And uh, oh man, yeah. Like it, like I wonder what like if cheese. that's the rest. The whole book's just a flip book, and you don't see, like, his head until the final page. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite cover of the week? My favorite cover of the week was uh, is going to be another Spider-Man cover, mm. Sinister War number one, a variant cover by Peach Momoko. Um, it's just gorgeous. I mean, it's uh, Spider-Man posing against a, a, a web, but it's got this watercolor vibe to it. Um, and what I love is that it looks like it's been raining. There's there's dew like all oh, over yeah. the web, and it's almost like those drops have fallen down and carried the rest of the color from Spider-Man's suit with it. Um, but also just the fact that he's like standing straight up, looking forward, like looking ahead, like he's planted himself, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's just this really it's a really striking image. There's not it's it's very simple but very gorgeous and. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this miniseries. The logo on his chest is different too, isn't it? It's like yeah, this it's weird almost tech like a, thing. Yeah, or like a it's very polygonal. Like there's uh, uh. there's there's like um, there's dimensions to it. Yeah, for sure. Huh. 
Interesting. Very Spider-centric covers we picked this week. Yeah, for sure. We love our Spidey boys. We do. We really do. Although not in real life. I don't like spiders. Go away. In our last segment, uh, Matt Medney joins us, the CEO of Heavy Metal Magazine, to talk all things his comics, but also what it's like to be a CEO at Heavy Metal. On with this is Matt Medney. Thank you for joining the AFPT Comics Podcast. What's up, guys? This is great. I'm excited to be here. So I wanted to start by asking about your original plan for Heavy Metal when you became CEO, because that was in January 2020, you know, the before end times uh, of the pandemic. How did that affect your planning in 2020 and beyond? So what's great is that my planning never really changed. Um, We obviously have a ton of hurdles and a bunch Mm -hmm. of, you know, stress factors based on uh, the global uh, paradigm. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, how how nerdy is your audience? Very. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I mean, from day one, the plan has always been that I have I have found heavy metal in their um, stage of being the ranger of the north. And it's my (laughs) job to bring him back to Minas Tirith to be the king of Gondor. (laughs) Excellent. That is that is that is the plan full stop since day one awesome nice yeah just just rescue them from despair and lead them into the light <laughs> exactly you know there, there there are a few brands if any that have the that have the justice and the the warrant to be the the king of genre right mm. it's it started as that with you know being you know kind of the epicenter around movies like Blade Runner and Alien mm-hmm. and Fifth Element and then with Mobius who founded Heavy Metal being sure. part of the art team for Star Wars and Indiana Jones and then for Zeta who's been associated with Heavy Metal a lot doing Conan and Medusa and everything there really was no other you know all trains lead here brand except for Heavy Metal and yeah. then you know it it kind of became a legacy brand before it was finished writing its legacy. And that's, that's where I, I felt I could be additive to be like, no, 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 let's stop this legacy brand horseshit and (laughs) let's bring it into today's zeitgeist and remind people that, you know, our founder who (laughs) were a fixture that, that, that our, our our namesake was going to be Mad Max, but our founders thought that the original script from George Miller sucked. So we had to call it Mad Max instead of heavy metal. Right. You know, there were all of these, these moments. One of our founders left heavy metal early and then went and created the Rubik's Cube. So like right, the, the, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the brain trust that started heavy metal with Dione and Jule and Mobius and, and everyone that was involved at that time from mm-hmm. the artists like Corbin and Trezetta and et cetera was was the the epicenter of all things genre mm-hmm. and it kind of lost its way in the 90s and early 2000s and what's what's a testament to the fandom and to what the original founders did is the fandom never left just the right. ability to move mountains in the pop culture epicenter did right. and that's what we've been trying to change nice that yeah uh, i mean speaking of the fandom what was what was your entry point to heavy metal as like a fan of the format? Oh, I, I, I think I've been asked this question so many times, and, you know, <laughs> the, the, the difference between my first memory of it and what I think was when okay. I first read it are sure. different. My first memory was loving fifth element. 
mm-hmm. as a kid Same. and then wanting to un- understand where it came from and then yeah. reading about Harry Canyon and all of that. Yeah. But I think even before that, I was reading it with alongside Mad Magazine and, and other, you know, mm-hmm. poppy publications I can get my hands on as a, as a you know, as a eight, nine, ten year old at the time. But I don't remember those as well. Like the, the moment that I remember was watching Bruce Willis and Fifth Element being like, yo, this shit's fucking sick. And then <laughs> wanting yeah. to understand how that world was created mm-hmm. and then stumbling upon all the Harry Canyon pieces and realizing that it all came from this publication. That's when I really deep dived. That's when I like started reading it religiously and really being like, yo, this is this is not the you know, G and PG 13 mm-hmm. science fiction. This is real science fiction. That is about, you know, what could happen in your life just in a very different timeline and a very different set of parameters around society. Right. I think fifth Element was the first movie I saw twice in the theater. I was like 11. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so as CEO, I'm very curious, what is your day to day like at heavy metal? <laughs> uh, nonstop meetings and and brainstorms and all that stuff from like 6 30 to 8 p.m every night and Mm -hmm. i uh and i love every second of it you know there's like 15 to 20 meetings a day if it's not one story it's another if it's not the publication it's our multimedia ventures if it's not that it's our nft business if it's not that it's our gaming initiatives and Mm -hmm. you know cat who who set this up and is our is our amazing publicist and alongside all of the team is just such a great group of people and enthusiasts Mm -hmm. of the genre that, you know, help keep it all going. So it's like, you know, from everyone doing all of the day-to-day, the actual legwork to make everything come to life, I'm able to take these meetings and do these things to try to help push the brand forward. But my day-to-day is, you know, half meetings and, and half trying to create more stories. You know, as you know, some of the stories that I write are are in the magazine and are published uh, through the prose section. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to I try to balance it between writing and CEOing. And I always <laughs> like to say I'm a writer first and a CEO second. And it's um it is definitely difficult on some days. And you know having a great team around that can support that makes it easier. Sure. But it's uh it's still a. Uh, it's still an uphill battle that I tried to win daily and, and typically don't always win. It sounds like you're juggling a lot. <laughs> I mean, not only like putting together the magazine, but all the other adventures that are going on too. And writing. How do you have all the time? Yeah. Were you like the top writer in your uh, college? So what's, what's, I, this is such a fascinating story because I really didn't realize how much I liked writing until post-college. Oh. But if you go back and, and if you go back and look at my, life story like almost tva loki style yeah. then, you, then you would then you would realize that of course i was right and i just had really shitty teachers that never like said to me you should probably be a writer mm. like for instance i remember i would always demand every teacher to give me written exams versus multiple choice exams because i was like i have no idea how to define if this answer or that answer is right if you give them both to me, but it can explain to you why the answer that I know is right is right. Yes. And I'd rather write it out to you. And then mm-hmm. I get like a perfect score on the writing section of my SATs and all of these things 
And no one's like, maybe you should be a writer. <laughs> Literally no one. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and after college, I, I, I had these ideas. I always knew I was a world builder, right? Mm -hmm. I always knew I wanted to build worlds, but I never had the confidence to say I wanted to write them. Mm -hmm. So with Beyond Kuiper, I actually interviewed about 12 ghostwriters to see if somebody could bring it to life because I didn't have the confidence to even try. Okay. And after, you know, two years of talking to writers and, and, and getting samples done, I was like, all this stuff sucks. And I was like, there's no way. I, I was like, there's no way it's better. And, you and got, it I sounds like, like oh. you've got the confidence, though. Uh, six years later. Yeah, it's a process. <laughs> six years later, I got the confidence. Did not have it in 2015, I can tell you that much. Gotcha. Right. Um, you know, when uh, you, know, you spend five years writing a book and then, you know, it gets the, the accolade of the guy, you know, number one bestseller in hard science fiction. And, really um really validated the time i spent on researching the science sure. it gives you it gives you the confidence but back then i was like i don't know how to write this i don't know i've never taken a, a structured novel course right and then one day i was just like fuck it let's try it none of these guys are gonna do it better than uh, i i like and if it sucks at least it sucks on my dollar right versus, like <laughs> me paying somebody else that was like my uh my end thought in 2016 2016 August 1st mm. is when John, who wrote the book with me, um, texts me the uh, the preface to Pale Blue Dot from Carl Sagan, and I'll never forget it. He texts me that that preface that starts like, uh, "Consider again, that's here, that's home, that's us. Everything yes. you've ever loved, everything you've ever thought of." And I read that, and I'm like, I know exactly how to start this book. Like it clicked when I read that, mm -hmm. and that's when we just started running with it. Nice. Oh man, that's really cool. Yeah, Sa Sagan was the greatest. Absolutely, the great, like... the, the the greatest. Not only because of his intellectual prowess, but because he, like a Gene Rottenberry, yeah. knew how to take the most complex ideas and make it not dummy proof, but make it so simplistic Palatable. that you can use palatable exactly yeah. that you know and it's something that i try to do a lot is, is take pop culture references like that tva one i just did yeah. to try to create analogies to take you know a five sentence idea and boil it down into seven words sure mm -hmm. absolutely and and that, that's what sagan did better than i think anybody ever in the history of science education authorship movies with what how he told um contact yeah. All of those things were were just masterfully succinct with massively large ideas. Yes, absolutely. I mean, th even things as simple as like, you know, uh, explaining why time moves differently for different perspectives. It, it's all done in a way that's like, well, this is how you can perceive it. So that's how it works for storytelling purposes. <laughs> and I, I just he was he was a genius. He was an absolute genius. So, um, like, for instance, with time, right, if you yeah. go to Beyond Kuiper, uh, there's a structure uh, yeah. called the ant called the Anador, which is this crystallized um, building that's made mm -hmm. from a Eudarian crystal. And it's on a planet called Prometheus. And you drop it in onto the onto the planet and it expands into this into the structure. Mm -hmm. And the GSA, the Galactic Star Alliance, use it to hold their their governments because inside of the Anador is a chamber called the Valador, which mm -hmm. is the place without time. 
And we wrote it as the validator has a controlled mini black hole. So the government can go in there and argue and, and confer <laughs> for days, weeks, months. And it's only right. hours or days to the rest of the galaxy right. so that you can have true dialogue and true battling of ideologies without impacting the flow of time for the rest yeah. of the galaxy. I love that. <laughs> Sounds like the TV. I wish we had that. <laughs> I wish we had that. <laughs> I mean, speaking of Beyond Kuiper, you, you've got the, the Galactic Edition coming out at the end of the month, uh, July yeah, 27th. We, and so excited. You know, you're super into world building. The new edition has all these planetary guides, incredible artwork. What goes into expanding on a book like that with visual materials? I mean, how long has this been in the making? No. Luigi Almani, who designs the planets for us, designed for Mandalorian and... Um, oh, wow. Okay. A, a, a number of other Star Wars properties. And Luigi and I met through uh, an artist agency that we work with a ton called Tomato Farm. Mm -hmm. And and Luigi and I just clicked. And he was like, this story is amazing. I want to build the planets. And John, you know, I like to be the science educator. John <laughs> is the scientist. Uh -huh. Right. So John, you know, takes time and I go, all right, we want to take these 16 planets that we created that are spoken about in this, in this, in this volume. And I want you to create its mass density and radius compared to earth so that we can distill it for the average reader. So everything in the planetary guide is, is indexed by earth. So that you oh, okay. can understand its size relative to the size of our own planet. Right. And that's in the planetary guide. And John and I will come up with the properties of the, the planets based on the species. So, you know, we actually have brought in biologists and environmentalists and botanists to understand what type of life could live on a planet that we want to be purple with 5% of the oceans of Earth but have this or a right. planet that we want to be made of of 100%, you know, oxidized and condensed carbon which is crystal or diamond and what would what type of species would need to live on a crystallized diamond planet a, a probably a silicon based life form which mm -hmm. is what the Udari are and they're highly advanced and we couldn't understand how advanced they are because carbon versus silicon but if you're on a carbon based planet you're probably a silicon-based life because the planet needs the carbon right. as its fuel source. Gotcha. You're, you're making me think <laughs> about that. No Man's Sky. Have you played that at all? I, I, I unfortunately, that is that is the one area of um, of uh, pop culture that I, I, I have not had the time to get into. Is gaming. I, I don't really game. Right. Um, I watch every tv show or movie <laughs> good or bad sure. uh, in the in the genre space but uh gaming is definitely an area that i'm uh, a little more novice in i'm also no. like a bit um a bit challenged when it comes to uh using joysticks and <laughs> i can't move my thumbs in different ways like right, you need right. to on first person shooters so i die pretty quickly and i'm like this is silly <laughs> don't waste your time that's why, that's why i like single player stuff i can't keep up with people who it's like that's what they do all the time i just can't. right right <laughs> yeah i'm an 11 year old who's got you know 500 hours into the game and you don't right <laughs> Well, uh, Matt, I want to ask about curating the magazine, Heavy Metal Magazine itself. How involved are you as far as 
pulling together like the interviews and stuff like that. Is that more Tim Seeley's job as editor in chief? So uh, it more, it's actually more probably, you know, David Irwin, who's our publisher and okay. our chief creative overlord. Um, <laughs> true, real title. Um, so, you know, Love David it. comes, David comes from DC as the uh, executive creative director over mm-hmm. there, um, you know, overseeing during the, um, the uh, Nolan era and then moved on to Transformers and now he's with us. Oh yeah. Um, and, and David, you know, David is, is really it was my business partner when we started before we really expanded the team. And when, when I took it over um, and David and I worked together on, on kind of what we're thinking we want it to be. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Joe Illich, who's our executive editor has a really big uh, say in it as well. And, you know, we, we kind of look at it and I go, I think we need an interview here. I think we need an interview there. I think we want these types of stories, but with the, you know, the advent of our serials, mm. the, um, we, 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 we have a pretty decent roadmap for what the content's going to be through June of 2022 at this point, nice. um, which is really fantastic. Uh, and then Josh Sky, who is our um, interviewer, does a masterful job interviewing all of the, the people for the, uh, for the different pieces. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Have a roadmap well, that long. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> We uh, we had Dan Fogler on the show a few weeks ago, and we were we were talking about Fishkill and Brooklyn Gladiator, and he actually mentioned to us that Brooklyn Gladiator is is being developed as a film. Do you have any insight on that, or are there any other heavy metal projects we can look forward to on the big screen at some point? Um, so Brooklyn Gladiator is definitely getting developed right now. Awesome. Um, I don't have any other uh, news on it yet. Okay. Hopefully soon, and we cool. can talk about that when I'm allowed to. And yeah. um, on um, on other properties, all I can say is um, we are closer to Minas Tirith than we are to Hobbiton. Oh, that's <laughs> exciting. Okay. All right. I'll take that. I like it. <laughs> uh, switching gears to your, your comics work, uh, Darkwing, Unstable Elements, is getting the collected treatment soon. Uh, what do you hope readers will take away from the series now that it can be read in one sitting? Because I know you could have consumed it in the magazine, then in comic form, now in trade paperback form. What was that? What is that like? So, so, so this is volume one of mm-hmm. um, two. So we, we have six more chapters that we're going to be telling. And the reason that we collected it here is because, as you had just alluded to, we start in the magazine yeah. and then we move it into our elements forms. And you know, we're getting a lot of feedback from our fan base that they really wanted the elements to be in comic book size, not in the oversized magazine size. Okay. So when we got that feedback, we had realized that there was actually this perfect break point in uh, Darkwing to turn into two volumes so that this collected would be in comic book size so that we can make the second half of the element series the smaller size as well, the comic sure. book size, so, so that our collectors, who we all know love to have things perfectly, could have them all on the shelf and not be uneven oh sizes. So, Nothing, so nothing's was, worse than when a publisher changes the design of a spine halfway through a run. Oh, that's true. <laughs> dude, a hundred percent. So, so we're, we're really cognizant of that. Yeah. And, and that was the, um, you know, that was the uh, impetus for the unstable elements um, run. Yeah, but in this it. first yeah. half of, of, of Darkwing, you know, the, the idea for me of Darkwing in general came from, wanting to pay homage to Gene Roddenberry. I'm a Star Trek super geek. 
yeah. right? Uh, but I wasn't always. I always like to say I thought it, I, I was Team Star Wars as a kid, and I thought you could not be both, right? Obviously, <laughs> why, yeah, why, yeah, for sure. Why I've had arguments like, about this. <laughs> so as like this like naive eight to twelve year old, I was like, no, 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 I can only be Star Wars. <laughs> Fuck you, Trekkies. You guys suck, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I was, I was, I was so, I was such a uh, a competitor of it. Sure. And then, and then. See, it, it honestly was probably like around the age of 19 that I was like bored in college one day and I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'll turn it on. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's the best. And the, <laughs> and the opening, you know, the opening of, uh, uh, episode with Q and then with, with Picard after, you know, um, Lieutenant Yar gets frozen and he looks mm-hmm. at Q and admits that humans made mistakes and that we, we, we pushed forward when we killed all the lawyers, Right. Literally is the line, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, this shit, this is sick, right?" <laughs> and then I became like a super fan yeah. from that line. I, 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 it is not a, um, it is not a secret that I'm not fond of lawyers and the way in which they muddy up creative. Because um, uh, I am, as I said, I'm a writer and a creative first. I'm a CEO sure. second, and yeah. and I, I have a firm belief that no creative expression should be halted from dudes in a suit. It's unacceptable, right? So that opening scene of um, of Star Trek just just really struck me. And then yeah. I watched like I've watched all of Next Gen probably like ten times at this point in the last ten years. I've watched all the episodes ten times. Dave uh, just I, finished rewatching it, I think. Right? I did. I just finished the whole TNG. Oh my god! Like as a person who like appreciates science, you mean? I mean, of course there is science fiction that doesn't actually make sense in it, but it does but try. There's a lot of. There's a lot of there's a lot of deep cut science that mm. actually you don't even realize. Right. There's like sure. deep cut science in it that you're like, wait, that's real? Mm. Like, ca- <laughs> yeah. like, like tachyons are yeah. actually real theoretical physics. Anything you hear about tachyons in the show that you're like, this is bullshit, is actually not. <laughs> that's the first time hilarious. I heard that word was watching TNG. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's such Same. a good but series. Like, but, it's so good. Yeah. But, but all, so, so, so. The idea of this spacefaring utopian vessel mm-hmm. that could interact with other civilizations, have its own quarrels, and maybe dial that up a little bit because of today's time versus when that was made yeah. was always something that I wanted to do. And I had this idea of like, well, any ship that flies mm-hmm. is going to be a knockoff and I'm going to be a second rate Rottenberry. So, how <laughs> do I do something that still nods to that? Mm-hmm. but does it in a Matt Medney way. And I was like, I'm going to turn a snitch into a spaceship. And that's literally what I said. Right. Yeah. That's liter- <laughs> I mean, I mean, I know this is an audio podcast, but like I have, you know, the deathly hollows, right? Here. Oh yeah. Nice. And, and I got the elder wand right here. So oh, like, nice. oh, wow. know, it's all, it's all, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm all in, right. I'm yeah. all in at this point, nerd. So the idea of taking this ball and putting wings on it and calling it a planet and adding an exoskin, I was like, that's it. That's the dark wing. And I started with that as like my, my thing. I, I'll never forget it. I, I used to produce concerts and I was on stage at a show I was producing in Vegas yeah. in 2017. And it hit me during the show. And I, the first notes of dark wing were in with my thumb on my phone in the middle of a concert with 3,000 people there just feverishly trying to get the idea out because it was just yeah. flowing through. 
I was going to ask you about this. I saw that in the notes in the in the in the uh, first issue. What what was the show like? What what concert was it? So I used to produce uh, the live side for a band called Cheat Codes that has a big song with Demi Lovato called No yeah, Promises uh-huh. and all that stuff. And we were doing our residency at um, at the Palms at the cool. time. Okay. And um, and I was literally just like on the stage in the back. They were performing, and I was like, Oh my God, this is a story. And yeah. I'm just writing it with. I'm writing it as fast <laughs> as I can before in the it leaves. Chaos, yeah. Before it leaves in the chaos of this uh, of this event, and and that that is the uh, the story is this idea that you know I wanted what Gene Roddenberry did better than anyone else was use the vertical of science fiction mm-hmm. to ask hard questions about humanity by removing humanity and making it a third person. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that 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 to me was the greatest um, achievement. Yeah. That, that, that he had done. So because of that, I said, right now we're polarized with the left and the right, masks, no masks, anything and everything you can, guns, no guns, abortion, no abortion, everything is polarized. Yeah. So I was like, we're going to have this planet that built this technology that allows it to fly throughout space. And even with that wonder, we're going to separate the, the people of the planet into explorers who look at it as this triumphant opportunity to do something that nobody in the history of the universe to their knowledge is able to do mm-hmm. and orbiters who believe that the dark wing is just a means to an end a means to find another solar system to call home and those yeah. two competing forces work together as showing how when you're flying throughout space just like if we're on mars there's no room for bullshit <laughs> a mistake kills everyone right so even though right. these people have such competing differences, traveling the oceans of time forever or planting in a solar system, those are vastly different. That, that is even more opposed than the left and the right today. But even with those oppositions, they're still able to work together yeah. to make sure the dark wing doesn't fall into a black hole or fall into a star or, right. or, or run into another planet. And, and I try to use the narrative as a way to show people that you can have differences and you can have fundamental differences, but there's two ways to do it. There's the understanding that the other person is allowed to have their perspective. And then there's a way of accusing them of not having your perspective. And Hmm, right now we're accusing people of not having our own perspective rather than being compassionate that people can have different ideologies as long as we're all playing scrimmages on the same team. Yeah, right? yeah. That's yeah. the that and Obama had said that right in the Rose Garden, right after the mm-hmm. day Trump won. And I'll never forget it because I always I always think about such a missed opportunity for America was never forget this political paradigm we play in is a scrimmage to the world stages sport that we have to be unified against. Mm-hmm. Right. And we we forgot that over the last five years. And I tried mm-hmm. to weave a little bit of that unity into Darkwing because it's not about what your view is, right? And I, I think that is really important. Just just like, you know, and we don't have to get into all of it, but like, I don't think crime is solved with better police force. I think it's probably solved with better humanitarian actions mm-hmm. and, and helping people get jobs and being members of society so they don't want to commit a crime, mm-hmm. right? When you put a Band-Aid like force it's going to rip at some point. To right. heal it, you have to make the person not want to commit the crime, right? right. That, that's the way. Of course, there's going to be outliers. Of course, people will still do it. 
But if you're looking at it from a massive standpoint, the solution is always changing perspective, not forcing somebody to not do something, mm, right? That's, and that, that's one of the fascinating things about Darkwing is that there's, there, there is all of this like political intrigue, but at the end of the day, there's also a sense of, well, we are in this together. I mean, the, the ending of, I think it's, it's either number one or number two, but the, you know, the council realizes that they found a new home and they're like, well, we're going to break their hearts if we tell them that it's time to stop exploring, you know, and there's actually like a, a consideration of another person's feelings, even though oh, their so ideologies are opposed. Yeah. yeah. It seems like empathy yeah. is something that we lack as, as, as humanity these days, yeah, we need sure. more of it. And that's, I think that's kind of what you're getting at too. Um, caring about 100%. others and stuff. Yeah. Caring about others and, and most of all, a disagreement shouldn't mean you hate the person. Right. Right. Like, that, like, that idea that's been, you know, drilled into our head over the last five years is, sure. is insane. It's like, like tribalism. You know what I mean? It's like us yeah, versus them. It's really bad tribalism because there's nothing I enjoy better. You know, uh, uh, and I don't think he'll have a problem talking about it because he talked about it openly, but Kyle Perrin, who uh, scored Beyond Kuiper's audiobook with me. So if you, if you, I don't know if you know, but the audiobook is really an audio movie. It's fully voice acted, That's fully awesome. sound designed, fully I love scored. That. It was, and I, I had finished it before Sandman did. Just, just, I always like to <laughs> point, I always like to point yeah. that out. I didn't, I didn't have their marketing budget, but I, I did, I did make mine first. Um, awesome. So Kyle, Kyle is a true believer in science and mm -hmm. a true believer in God. And I find that to be fascinating. And we have sure. really crazy conversations about it where we butt heads, where we don't agree on certain things because of it, but we're still best friends, right? Mm -hmm. And like that ability to hear somebody else, yeah. take in their perspective on life, understand it, gain perspective for yourself from it, and then allow them to be happy in the way that they want to live is something that we used to have, I feel like in the 70s, 80s, 90s, maybe not 70s, definitely maybe 80s, definitely the 90s, yeah. kind of kind of early 2000s, and then it went to shit, right? But, yeah, right. But like that idea is something that I'd love to try to bring back to humanity because it's not about it's not about you or me. It's not mm -hmm. about what we like, mm -hmm. what you like, right? If you're the right. person in the conversation, you should be respectful of the other person's views. And if you don't like the views to an extreme, then you shouldn't talk to the person. But it doesn't mean you should hate them, right? Right? right. Yeah. Like this idea I mean, that like you have to hate them because they don't share your view, right. like that that doesn't solve anything. That means that they should hate you because you don't share their view. Well, that, that brings it back to the Roddenberry of it all was like that Star Trek was his idealized version of the future where um, the war's behind us. Now it's just time to move forward, yeah. you know? Um, and I, I do love that kind of science fiction, that, that kind of, uh, that kind of cooperative atmosphere for the greater good. Well, speaking yeah, of cooperative, uh, when you're scripting Darkwing, there are a lot of moving parts here. We've got gadgetry on every panel, uh, what is the what is the scripting like, and what is the collaboration like with the artist? So I I write and design my stuff probably very atypical from other comic book writers. Okay. So I only script in final draft. Uh -huh. um, as a novelist as well, and when you're writing a novel, and and the journey that the reader is going to get is 100% your own. There's yeah. no other crutches. I'm a big believer 
that when you're doing a graphic novel, it should mm-hmm. be a true collaboration. So I like to give them the the world and the story that I want to tell. And mm-hmm. I want them to tell me how they envision that story from, they are the artist, right? And, and, and Herman and I really have mind melded on this where he reads the script, he's like, I know exactly what I want. I also, you know, write the, uh, for, so Darkwing is, you know, the guardians of the galaxy to Beyond Kuiper's Avengers. They are in the same universe, though in different quadrants of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. But with Beyond Kuiper, I wrote what I'd like to call a ninth grade history lesson on the world. There's 500 pages of lore in a Google Doc that says, that tells everything about every gadget, every scientific invention, wow. how this happened, what started this war, what ended this war. It's your Silmarillion. <laughs> do, do you guys have a copy of Beyond Kuiper, the novel? I do. We yes. do. A digital copy, yeah. So, 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 the foot, so if you look, the footnotes in it, is my cerulean. Oh. That, that, was the, that, that was the the impetus for that. Is that yeah. I, uh, John John and I were like, we don't really want to publish a second book, right? But sure. we do want to pay homage to Token with incredible world building. Yeah. So all the footnotes that you see in Beyond Kuiper is our uh, hat tipping to Token and the yeah. idea of expanding the world while you're reading it and getting all of this rich history throughout nice. it. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. The uh, yeah, and then you also have the the adventures of Adrian James coming out August eleventh, which you co-wrote with all, Bruce Edwards. All you need to know about that is female Indiana Jones in space. That was it our is, question. What's your elevator pitch? <laughs> uh, fe- fem- female Indiana Jones in space. The the story. Uh, so so past that, mm-hmm. and, and you know, again on this on this um, Roddenberry love fest is yeah. this idea that I want to shed light that art is more important than any other discipline in our world today. And I truly believe that. I think art is so undervalued in America, even versus Europe right now. It's a travesty. So in, um, in Adrian James, art is the currency. Art is the social class. Art is every, everything that happens in the Andromeda galaxy Mm -hmm. where Adrian James takes place is, 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 is based around the getting, selling, acquiring, stealing, spying for art. Yeah. Right. That that is the impetus. You know, a, a quote unquote spoiler is like there's even rarity art. You know, in a very heavy metal fashion, you'll see in issue six or seven. Don't <laughs> don't quote me on which. Oh one. wow, that's a bit off. A, a, Adrian will go. Oh, I, I write full scripts before I even start inking. Nice. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Nice. Um, I need to know my whole story before I even give it to an artist. But Adrian, with uh, with somebody who I will leave unnamed because that would be a ma- massive spoiler, okay. goes, to, goes to this rarity art exhibit underground thing where some of the art are these beings from this planet whose whole life is about learning this one incredibly difficult ballet yeah. and then committing suicide on stage once it's complete. Oh, wow. Wow. Right? And, and like yeah. really thinking through what could be rare art. 
What could yeah. be an expression? What could be something that's so important to someone that once they've completed it, they cease to live? Right. right? And like that right. is a, a their as final a work. Their right. final work. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wow. you know, pulling strains of heavy metal into these stories through sure. really trying to push past 100, right? Like, what is that really outrageous idea? Those yeah. are some of the things that what, you'll find. Where's the furthest place we could take it? Yeah. Where's the furthest place we can take it? Exactly. Wow. A bit of a spoiler for the first issue, but I wanted to ask, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a breakout uh, plot. When we've had so many, so much media, movies, TV, and anime, everything, comics, with breakouts, I, I'm trying to keep it vague to avoid a spoiler. <laughs> uh, how do you how do you approach it so that it feels new and fresh? Well, if you've read it, I think you know how I did that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, uh, you know, no, without spoilers from a, a higher uh, yeah. level, yeah, the um, the idea of saying, all right, we want to do a, a, a breakout and we want to make it fresh. Mm-hmm. So why, how do we take the elements of science fiction, mm-hmm. the elements of action adventure, mm-hmm. the elements that those two competing forces kind of provide? Because there really aren't many true treasure hunt, action adventure, science fiction stories out there. That is a pretty unique thing to Adrian James. Most stories are either action adventure treasure hunt like uh, Indiana Jones, National sure. Treasure, or most of them are like science fiction space odysseys. Mm-hmm. We don't really kind of get that melding of the two. Yeah. So we try to look at like, what what can you pull from science fiction, which is hint, hint, how, you know, the, uh, the escape happens. And then how do you pull from like an action-packed sequence for yeah. the escape? Right. Put those two things together and boom, there you get your issue one. It feels almost like... Uh, it feels almost like the cold open of like one of the Indiana Jones movies or the Bond movies. Like it, it feels like this is like right before the opening credits of the Adventures of Adrian James, and I, I love that. It's it's really yeah, it's, fun. It's, it, it's totally more of a prologue. Yeah. You know, uh, part one, part two that comes out in you know three hundred seven and three hundred nine is more mm-hmm. of a prologues, and then I believe it's in three eleven that you'll get the true chapter ones. Cool. Nice. Awesome. That's exciting. Well, um, I know you're a busy guy. You're working on working on comics, but like, what comics are you reading right now? Oof. I mean, I, 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 I haven't read many new ones mm-hmm. recently. I always go back to, you know, um, House of X. You yeah. know, I'm, yeah, House of X. I would go back to Infinity Gauntlet. You know, the mm-hmm. the, the earlier the the seventeen part compendium. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I go back to, you know, Watchmen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I try not to read too much because I don't want it to influence original right. ideas. Sure. Right, right. I, I, get, I get very nervous about um, subconsciously taking something. So when I'm in the middle of writing stories, I try not to read things in those genres. So I actually read sure. a lot more uh, science books, to be honest. Right. Yeah, sure. fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, so like uh, I, I just read Neil deGrasse Tyson's uh, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Pretty <laughs> amazing <laughs> book. I yeah. love title. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, so I read stuff like that, but you know, I'm, I'm a big you know, Derek Robertson fan. Like Transmetropolitan is yeah, amazing. Sure. You know, Boys is amazing. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, obviously all the books that we put out, 
I read. So like Sun Eater, sure. Brooklyn Gladiator, Fish Kill, all of those books I think are incredible. Uh, mm. I'm a big Savage Circus fan. If you haven't read that yet, I think Brendan Columbus check is that hyster- one out. hysterical. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, that, 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 that's, I wish I had more time to just read. <laughs> sure, but, me too. But uh, I, I, I have to read all of our, I have to read our scripts. <laughs> sure, yeah, of course. It takes a lot of my reading time. <laughs> Well, it's funny. We keep talking about how busy you are, but uh, in our last segment, how we end every interview, uh, off-topic, top shelf, we want to know what you're into that's not comic book related. Uh, oh, that's easy. Okay. Bike riding, fitness. Um, I'm, I, I do 60 miles every week on my bike outside. Wow, like nice. my, my zen moment. Uh, Kat, who I know is listening but not participating, will take many calls with me while I'm on my bike. So she, <laughs> she knows exactly what I'm talking about. What kind of bike is it? Um, is it a Huffy? No, just kidding. No, <laughs> no it's, a, it's, a, it's a Trek road bike. So I, nice. I, I, uh, I live in the marina in Los Angeles. So up and down, up and down the beach every day wow. to clear my head for an hour. That's you know, great. It, it, it's so important. You know, sleep. I, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big proponent of, 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 of letting people know that the idea of um, not sleeping enough to get more done is a misnomer. And I hate people that try to promote that. Get get seven to nine hours a night, mm-hmm. and then just bust your ass when you're awake. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 deprive your brain of the uh, of the sleep it needs. So I'm I'm a big proponent of of, uh, of taking care of yourself and going to the gym and all that. I'm a coffee yeah. connoisseur, love coffee. Nice. Um, heavy metal has its own coffee with uh, Geek Grind. If you go to Geek oh, Grind right. Coffee. If you go to Geek Grind Coffee, you see, you'll see all of the uh, the coffee that we're offering now, which you know is just really a passion of mine that we have our own coffee. That's like so sure. dope. Um, which, uh, which which blend would you recommend? The Darkwing, the Quantum Fuel. Come on, Hell yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, funny. But the, uh, the the Crescent the Crescent City the Crescent City Brew uh, for Swamp God is pretty amazing, also. Okay. Um, oh, but yeah, yeah I'm, gonna, uh, the, I'm gonna have to order one of these. Oh, I love oh, this okay. Elements mug. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> now I'm just yes. checking out the website. It's dope. <laughs> but yeah, all all of those, you know, honestly, I I, I write. Um, you know, when you say what are things that like outside of what I do, I, I yeah. really love my stories, right? Like like the stories that like I have a new story that I'm writing called the Existence Equation, which I'm just Ooh. so unbelievably excited about. So like you know premiere uh, i've never talked about this to anybody yet oh nice so, like just just the idea of it is, is just so incredible to me uh you know not 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 meaning that it's like a pat on the back just like an idea that i had and sure. i was like wow that's such a um a unique take so you know kids have to make this decision at 18 about college that, that really dictates the rest of their life mm. so i wanted to do that in a motif and the existence equation is about earth two three hundred years from now when we figured out faster than light travel and have explored other planets with sentient life, other biological beings, it's commonplace, but there's a caveat. The human biological body can't travel at those speeds. So if you want to travel at those speeds, you have to download your consciousness into an Android. Scary. And the, and the, and the process only works. The process only works at the age of 18. It's it's temperamental past the age of 18. By the age of 60, it's akin to death akin to suicide right so we follow wow. liam kerr at the age of 16 on his journey of deciding 
which way he wants to go. Does he want to become an android and travel the cosmos and, and meet other civilizations and effectively become immortal, but at the cost of his humanity and his emotional IQ? Or does he want to stay as a human on Earth and know that's out there and never be able to touch it, but live in a society that has futuristic technology and it isn't a, a, a wasteland, it isn't destroyed, but just always knowing that he could have done more. And which of those two paths will he choose? No, that's really cool. Nice. And I, 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 love I, that. I just, yeah, I'm just so excited about being able to hopefully shed some light on the insanity of making kids make these life decisions at 18. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited about it. When do we? When, when, when should we expect that? Fall next year. Okay. Cool. Oh I, wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I write slow. Uh, this will be a novel. Okay. And uh, I like it to be super researched. Uh, the next novel I'm putting sure. out is called above the ground which is about a botanist named david anders who is um who created this thing called alp which is advanced plant life systems mm -hmm. and he can basically uh produce um uh any sort of plant life in uh, any sort of environment including a nuclear fallout environment and bombs have gone off everywhere oh, wow. we're in a dystopia and america has been split into two countries the seven flags in america and he has to get from Nebraska, where he lives, through seven uh, seven flags territory, to uh, Santa Barbara to the safe house, knowing that everyone's hunting him because he holds the technology to fix society in this place, basically. And then mystical craziness happens when he gets <laughs> to Yellowstone, and I won't and I won't uh, ruin it. But uh, but yeah, nice. very excited about that too. When is that one? Uh, that one, that one, the manuscript just finished, so I'm hoping uh, oh. potentially top of next year. Good awesome. lord, Matt, you That's are exciting. so busy. You've got Darkwing Unstable Elements coming out 721, Beyond uh, Coupier, the Galactic Edition coming out 727, The Adventures of Adrian James, number one, out 8 uh, August 11th. Thank you so much for being on the APT Comics podcast. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. <laughs>